0: Our scripture reading this evening is Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. It's quite a long chapter, but I would like to read the entire chapter. The son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and An, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning... The Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose. He will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it not enough for you, that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel, to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near, Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord, But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your company be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they, along with Aaron. Each of you take his fire pan and put incense on it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall each bring his fire pan. So they each took his own censer and put fire on it, and laid incense on it. And they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God! God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the congregation saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in all their sin. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents, along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs and they descend alive into Sheol then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. And as he finished speaking all these words the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol and the earth closed over them. And they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy. And you scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar, since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy, and they shall be for a sign to the sons of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which the men who were burned had offered, and they hammered them out as a plating for the altar, as a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron, should come near to burn incense before the Lord, so that he will not become like Korah and his company, just as the Lord had spoken to him through Moses. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tent of the meeting, And behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. Then they fell on their faces. Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer, and put in it fire from the altar, and lay incense on it. Then bring it quickly to the congregation, and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord." The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly, for behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. He took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. But those who died by the plague were 14,700, besides those who died on the account of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting. For the plague had been checked. So far the reading of God's word. Well congregation in our study of the catechism which we uh, didn't do last week but the week before we left man under a curse. I trust you remember that under the curse. The path of life that the catechism is leading us on? Isn't it true, congregation, that up until this point it has seemed more like a path of death? It seems like the catechism and our instructor is, is leading us farther down into the depths of death. And it can hardly be called a path of life. Well, that changes this evening. That changes And you might say, the door is cracked open just a little. A door of hope for a hopeless people, for a sinful people. But still a door of hope. And that's what we read uh, in the Catechism Instruction. Uh, You can find this uh, in Question 12. If you turn in the back of the blue hymnal, I wasn't able to fit it on the outline but you can find it in the blue hymnal on page 12. On page 12. And we're going to consider this evening question 12, 13, 14, and 15. So question 12 asks, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment, both in this world and forever after. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? And the answer given is God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of his justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. And may I say, congregation, that, that those last three words kind of crack the door open just a little, don't they? Or by another. But question 13 continues, Can we pay this debt ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our guilt every day. I trust I don't need to say much about that question and answer, since we've covered that in detail in previous Lord's Days. But question 14, can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish another creature for man's guilt. Besides, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it. And then the last question, question 15, what kind of mediator and deliverer then should we seek for? And the answer given is he must be truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, is, he must also be true God. So far then, our catechism. Now, congregation, let me begin then by just making some explanations here of the truths that are given us here in our catechism. And I have four of them that I'd like to bring to your attention before we look at this text which speaks to us also of a mediator the first truth then is this satisfaction satisfaction and I believe I've spoken about this before but congregation we know that God forgives sin in a way of satisfaction and I've given you the example before of of, you'll know that at the end of his term in office, the President of the United States will pardon people, right? He will he will uh, find somebody who or he, he he knows many people who are guilty, and he he lets them off the hook, so to say, right? They don't have to finish out their, their punishment. They're released, whether they're in prison or if they have a fine or if they whatever their punishment may have been, he pardons them. They're released from their punishment. They don't have to satisfy the law. They're pardoned. Now, in that sense, God never pardons a sinner. Now, I know that we use that language all the time, that God pardons sinners. But again, in the technical sense of what I just explained, of what the president does in office, God never pardons a sinner in that sense. Sinners must satisfy the justice of God. And that's the question and answer that is given us in question 12, right? The answer is really... You know, the, the, the question asks, is there any way we can escape this punishment and be restored to God's favor? And the answer really doesn't give much hope at all, does it? The answer really is, is rather stark. God requires that His justice be satisfied. There's, there's no way around that. God does not let people off the hook. God does not say, well, you, you've suffered enough. Now you can be set free. God's justice must be satisfied and He demands payment to the, to the uttermost extent of it. God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves, which we can never do, congregation, and that's why hell's torments are eternal, because we never can satisfy the justice of God, or by another. And again, there the door of hope cracks open just a little, doesn't it? A door of hope. Or by another. And so now the catechism is going to, you might say, latch on to those last three words. And our instructor is going to take us on then. Can we make this payment ourselves? Of course, that's out of the question, isn't it? Okay, and that's the second truth then. The second truth. Not possible for us to do. That's the truth given us in question 13 and 14. It is not possible for us to make satisfaction for ourselves, nor is it possible, says the Catechism, for another one, another creature, another created being, and I guess the the thought here would be angels, right? To make satisfaction for us. And he gives us a variety of different reasons there. And he says in question 14, first of all, God is just, and he's not going to punish some other creature for the sin that human nature performed. A human sin a human has to make satisfaction. And that's why an angel can't suffer in our behalf. Because angels didn't sin. Right? That's a simple fact of justice. Humans sin. And therefore humans have to make the satisfaction. But the catechism goes on. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin. So congregation, to, to escape the punishment of God and for us to take the punishment of God well we wouldn't survive it so that's not an escape open to us either because if the wrath of God came down upon us we would be crushed and eliminated And, and we would not escape the wrath of God we would be crushed under it we wouldn't survive it no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and then one final reason and that is that human beings have their own sin. No mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin to deliver others from it. We can't deliver others from sin that we ourselves are guilty of. Now, if there was a sinless human to be found, there might be hope for that person, although, again, for him, he wouldn't be able, even if he were sinless, he would not be able to survive the wrath of God. He would not survive that punishment. So he can't make... Satisfaction to God's justice for human sin. But again, the case is that every human has their own sins, and the least transgression requires God's infinite wrath against it. So, it is not possible for us to satisfy for ourselves or to satisfy for others. So, the third truth given us is what is needed. What sort of mediator, then, the question comes, must we seek for? And so, the third truth is what is needed. And the answer given us is one who is very man. In other words, he's human. He has to be human because humans sin. And only a human can make satisfaction for human sin. So in the first place, he has to be human. But second, he has to be a righteous man. He cannot have any sin of his own that needs to be atoned for. And of course, he has to be more powerful than all creatures. That is, he has to be God. He has to be divine because only a divine creature can survive a confrontation, or an experience, shall I say, of the wrath of God. This is the mediator that we must seek for in the third place, the third truth given us here. Now the fourth truth, I would just like to explain, maybe in a little simpler terms, what a mediator is. Because our catechism uses that term in question 15, and it's important, especially for our children now, to understand what a mediator is. And dear children and, and, and everyone, a mediator, you can think of a middle man, a middle man. he 's one who stands in the middle, because a mediator assumes that there are two parties and they have a, a dispute. They have a quarrel. And a mediator has to step in. Now, I know that you young men and you young women that are involved in sports programs in your school, are very familiar with this concept. Because when you're playing soccer, or when you're playing football, right, or you're playing basketball, inevitably, there are quarrels, right? Was that out of bounds? Was it in bounds? Did he cross the line, or did he not cross the line? Right, those kinds of quarrels come up all the time, don't they? And who's going to resolve them? Well, you need a mediator, right? And that mediator is in the person then of the referee or the umpire, right? There's always those kinds of people in almost all sports programs, right? They need those kinds of people to make an impartial judgment about what the fact of the matter is. Now listen to me now. Suppose that you were in a sports game. Let's just say soccer, for instance, now, okay? Let's suppose that you're playing a soccer game. and, And... and you find out that the ref of this soccer game is the son of the coach of the opposite team you follow me he's the son of the coach of the opposite team now how would you feel about that you'd say that's not right he's not going to make an impartial judgment is he? he he's going to be biased for that team Okay, now that teaches us very clearly what a mediator has to be. What are the qualities of a mediator? Because a mediator cannot have a connection to either side. Now in one sense, he needs to be connected to both sides, right? He needs to know, right? A a, a soccer referee needs to know soccer. He needs to know the rules. He needs to know both teams. But he can't have an attachment or a connection to one side over the other, He can't be the son of the coach of one team because, of course, he's then going to be biased in favor of that team. So a mediator, an effective mediator, needs to be, he needs to have an interest in both sides and not a connection or a unique connection, at least, to one side. Well, now, this brings to our understanding what a mediator is because a mediator and also the mediator of our uh, of our own salvation he needs to have a connection to both sides and that's why our catechism and the scripture teaches us that the mediator is truly human right he needs to have a stake you might say in the human side and he's also divine he represents God to us and he stands in the middle and he's human and he's divine And that's why he can be the mediator for our salvation. And so that's the fourth truth then that is given us in this catechism answer. Well, congregation, let me leave that now and let's turn to our text. Because our text speaks to us in an old testament way of a mediator. Now, Congregation, what an awful chapter of Scripture we read this evening. What a dreadful, dreadful punishment came upon the sons or the, uh, the, 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 the followers. Again, I can't say the sons, right? Because we, found, we saw this uh, from Psalm 49 that not all the sons of Korah died with him. But at any rate, those who followed Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. But let's consider then this, this uh, the both sides then, right? We have Korah, Dathan, and Abiram over here. We have Moses and Aaron representing God over here. And now we come to consider what happened here. What was Korah's issue? What was Dathan and Abiram's issue? What was their quarrel with Moses and with Aaron? Well, you can read that in verse 3, right where Korah says, Everyone in the congregation is holy. And that's a true statement, right? They were all holy. They were all equally set apart by God as his people. Moses, what makes you think that you can be the leader? And Aaron, what makes you think that you can be the high priest when the whole congregation is holy? Now some very astute uh, students of Scripture have noticed something else. Would you take your Bible and turn to Numbers 3 and verse 30? And here we have to do a little genealogy. We have to do a little genealogy to understand this point so if you can keep your finger in numbers three and look at Numbers 16 verse one first so we see that Korah is the son of Izhar the son of Kohath the son of Levi now in numbers three you have all the different assignments given to the sons of Aaron And our Bible uh, helps us out here by, by, by giving us, by bold-facing the verse numbers. But look at Numbers 3 and verse uh, 17, where we're given the names of the sons of Levi. So the sons of Levi are Gershon, Kohath, and Mereri. Gershon, Kohath, and Mereri. And you can read it, continues, look at Verse 21. Of Gershon was the family of the... And then so on and so forth. It tells this is his assignment. And then in verse 27, it says of Kohath. And it gives his assignments. Now, notice that the first son of Kohath in verse 27 is Amram. Who who came from Amram? Do you remember, children? That's where Moses and Aaron came, right? Amram was the father of Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were brothers. And Amram was their father. But then continue, and the family of the Izharites, who came from Izhar. Well, again, back to Numbers 16, verse 1. Korah was the son of Izhar. So Amram would have been the eldest, Ishar would have been the next, and then it says the family of the Hebronites and the family of the Uzielites. But now look at Numbers 3 and verse 30, where it says, And the leader of the father's households of the Kohathite families was Elizaphan the son of Uzziel, And yet in verse 27, we're taught that Uzziel was the youngest of the family. It goes Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzziel. Again, it's a somewhat speculative, but, but not really that speculative, that Korah very likely resented the fact that this man who was the son of Uzziel, again, his name given us is Elizaphan, was made the leader of the Kohathite families. But what about me, says Korah? I'm the son of Izhar, who is older than, than Elizaphan, who, who comes from Uzziel. And you know that in the, in the, in the, in the Hebrew uh, Near East, in those times, right, they, they stood very much on age, right, and, and who you descended from. And so very likely, Korah's issue or at least some of the seeds of his resentment, came from the fact that he had been bypassed. God had chosen Elizaphan, the son of Uzziel, the youngest of the family, to be the leader of the family of the Kohathites, not Korah, who was the son of the older son, Izhar. So that may very well have been Korah's issue, or at least part of it, for sure. And it certainly, it certainly is confirmed by what we read in verse 3, Right? where Korah stands on this fact that we're all holy. And yet, Aaron, what makes you think that you can be the high priest and the leader? Well, what about Dathan and Abiram? Now, we read in number 16, verse 1, that Dathan and Abiram were not Levites. They were the sons of Eliab and they were Reubenites, sons of Reuben. Now, I put on the outline there uh, what was very interesting to me, and that is a layout of the camp of Israel. Now you see in the middle there is the tent of meeting, right? The tabernacle was in the middle. Then the priest, the sons of Levi, I'm sorry, not the priest, the sons of Levi, not not all the sons of Levi were priests. But at any rate, the sons of Levi, Mereri is on the north. And Gershon, well, I shouldn't say north. I don't really know that it's the north, but you can see he's on the top there, whatever direction that may have been. And Gershon is on the left. Kohath is beneath. And Moses and Aaron, with their families, was on the right. Then all the other tribes are positioned around. By the way, you can read all this in Numbers chapter 2. But now, congregation, look at Kohath. Because Korah was a son of Ishar, the son of Kohath. And look what tribe is directly beneath the camp of Kohath. Reuben. Reuben. And we read that Dathan and Abiram. Abiram were Reubenites. Now again, I think that it makes a lot of sense to speculate that Dathan and Abiram being sons of the eldest child of Jacob, Reuben was the oldest. Very likely that Dathan and Abiram too resented the fact that Moses was the leader of the children of Israel. Why shouldn't the tribes men from the tribe of Reuben be the leaders of Israel. We are the oldest. We are by right the leaders of this nation. Now again, the Bible doesn't explicitly say that, but the Bible does explicitly say that the tent, the encampment of the families of Kohath was directly adjacent to the camps of the tribe of Reuben. And so no doubt there was mingling and there was whispering and there was talk going back and forth between those men. And Korah, Dathan and Abiram as so often happens back then and happens on our own day that one person stirs up another person and that person stirs up another person and pretty soon you have this whole tornado this this vortex of dissent and ugliness and and, and a fracturing of the unity of God's people and it happens just like that. And can't you just see it congregation as these As the Kohathites, right, the the sons of Korah, or not the sons of Korah, they're the followers of Korah, start to mingle with Dathan and Abiram. Did you hear this? Why that? How come this? And there it goes and it gets started. Remember what James says, Behold how great a matter, how great a fire. The tongue of man starts, right? A little member. But behold what a conflagration, what a fire, what a storm it sets fire to. And then comes the judgments of God upon them. And you know the story that the sons of Korah, Dathan, the followers of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram are sucked into the earth and consumed forever. Now, congregation, it's staggering to me to read in verse 41 that on the next day, after all that they had seen, the congregation of Israel assembles again and grumbles against Moses and Aaron. Can you believe it? Is it possible that they actually could have seen the earth open? And still they come back, and they challenge Moses and Aaron, thinking that it was Moses and Aaron who killed all the the, uh, followers of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. But once again, God makes it plain. A congregation, uh, again, if you can see Uh, this scene this awful scene of this rebellious treasonous people standing before Moses and Aaron and the wrath of God you remember two weeks ago I described the wrath of God as if it was a dam and a huge lake a mighty torrent of water and the dam is beginning to creak and to crack but congregation here it is already beginning to break because we read that God reveals to Moses that the plague has already begun to spread throughout this rebellious people. And God says to Moses and Aaron in verse 45, Get away from this congregation that I may consume them instantly. Congregation, the wrath of God is about to fall on these people. And the, and the response of Moses and Aaron is so, uh, is so interesting. Because remember that back when Korah had challenged Moses and Aaron in the first place, and the earth had swelled them, that God had also said he was going to consume them instantly. But Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and prayed that God would stay his hand. And now notice, Moses and Aaron, again they fall on their faces. But this time, this time it's, it's and again you, you can see this more in the original, but they, they fall on their faces, but at this point it's as if Moses realizes that prayer is, is to no purpose any longer. That God's anger has reached a peak. That there's, there's no return anymore. And it's as if Moses says, Aaron, up off your face. There's no time anymore for prayer. There's no time anymore for talking about it and thinking about it. Grab the incense. Grab the incense from the altar. And go. Run quickly. There's no time to be wasted. God is going to consume the whole nation of Israel. Unless something is done immediately and we don't have time anymore to fall on our faces. We tried that before, but now that's not going to work. Get up, Aaron. Get the fire and run. And congregation, you can think of all the, all the objections that Aaron could have said. He could have said, what? I'm not going out there. I'll get consumed. I'll be struck down dead as well. He could have said, but it's not allowed. You're not allowed to take incense from the altar and burn it out there. It can only be done in the tabernacle." Aaron could have said, I can't go out there. There's dead people out there. I'll I'll be ritually impure myself if I touch a dead body. But it's just, if Moses sweeps that all the way, he says, Aaron, it's our only time. This is a time of extreme desperation. Run! And and, and Aaron does give, he gives no objections. I, I gave those objections. But Aaron doesn't say any of those things. He grabs the incense and he goes. Congregation, do you see this old man, Aaron, Running? With the fire and with the smoke going up. And as the plague rolls through the congregation, there falls another one. There goes another one. There stands Aaron in the midst of them. With the dead here and the living here. And you can imagine the congregation must have been struck with horror at what they were seeing. The wrath of God rolling through the congregation. And the only thing standing between them is Aaron with that censer. And the smoke going up. I, I, you, you, can't, you, you, can't, you can't there are no words to describe what must have been seen on that day and as the wrath of God rolls it comes to Aaron and it stops it stops right there it's as if Aaron says stop of course it's not Aaron is it it's that altar, it's that little altar the incense, you know what really was required here congregation was a sin offering but again the, the desperation is so extreme The situation is so desperate. There's no time to get a lamb or a a goat or whatever it was that they would offer for a sin offering. All he can do is grab the, the, the incense, which again would have had little coals in it, was like a little sin offering in itself. And he stands out there in the midst of the people. And the smoke goes up to heaven. And the plague stops. What do we see a picture of here, congregation? What do we see a picture of here? What sort of mediator must we then seek for? Do you see it this evening? Because what the catechism explains for us in theological terms, the scripture gives us in a picture. And this dreadful picture of the wrath of God rolling through. And Aaron standing there with that little altar, that little incense, that little fire. The smoke. And God recognizes that. Isn't it interesting, congregation, that at this point, even prayer does not avail to save the Israelites? But the censor does, with its fire and with its smoke. That God recognizes. And the amazing truth then, Aaron put on the incense and made atonement for the people. That is the kind of mediator, dear congregation, that the nation of Israel needed. Now 14,000 people still died. 14,000 people still died because of God's wrath breaking out upon them. But Aaron ran and he stood in the midst of that people and the plague was stayed. Congregation, what a beautiful picture of the gospel we see here this evening. And look at that quote that I gave you. Alfred Eddersheim was a Jew who was converted to Christ. He wrote a huge book, wrote several huge books. And in that, in his section on the rebellion of Korah, he has this statement. Never before or after was the gospel so preached, under the Old Testament. And he actually made one exception if I had finished the sentence. He says, the brazen serpent was another such example. But those two, never before or after, in the Old Testament, of course, was the gospel so preached. Because here you see the wrath of God, right? You see the wrath of God against the sin and the treason of this people. You see the punishment of God, which is the death. The plague breaking out against this people. And you see the mediator. a congregation... What did we preach on this morning? That the God of Jeshuin rides through the heavens to your help. And now this evening, we see Aaron, a type of the great mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ, riding, not riding, running. Remember, I told you what happened when I saw Julia running down that sidewalk ready to fall, how fast we ran after her. Now, in the same way, the God of Jeshuin rides to the help of his people. And in the New Testament, we have the Lord Jesus Christ as the greater Aaron, rushing to stand between the dead and the living. And he stands there, how? By entering into death. He, do you see it? He walked into amongst the dead. Isn't he going to become impure? Yes. He was made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He entered into death congregation. He entered under that curse that we spoke about two weeks ago. He went under it, and it fell on him. You know, I said to you that Aaron may have been worried that he might have been crushed under the wrath of God, while the Lord Jesus Christ was crushed under the wrath of God. That's why he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He entered into death as our mediator. Congregation, there are so many mediators that are presented to us in this world. There's so many Korahs who come forward; they will be our mediator. But God will provide a mediator, and that mediator is the greater Aaron, and he's the one whom God has set up to be the mediator between the dead and the living. Congregation, I close the sermon with these glory or with these uh, with this stirring call. I close the sermon with this stirring call that God gave to the people of Israel in verse 26 number 16 in verse 26 God spoke to the congregation depart now from the tents of these wicked men congregation that's the gospel call to us this evening and that as the preacher I may say to you this evening get out separate get away from sin get away from the tents of Korah Get out from the tents of Dathan and of Byron and get under the wings of this mediator. Get under his protection and you'll be safe, forever safe. The wrath of God will not crush anyone who is under the wings of that mediator. Oh, what a blessed truth. See the love of Christ this evening, congregation, as he runs between the dead and the living for our salvation. You know I couldn't help but think also of what Isaac do you remember when Abraham and Isaac were walking to Mount Moriah and Isaac being the perceptive youth that he was he says Abraham we've got fire we've got wood but where's the lamb where's the lamb and Abraham in the anguish of that moment says God will provide a lamb And isn't that what we saw in this evening our congregation? That God provided a lamb. He provided Aaron in those days to stand between the dead and the living. And in our day he lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ as the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world and slain for the sins of all those who come to him in faith. May God bless these words to us. Let us pray. Almighty God and merciful Father we are staggered at the sight of Aaron completely reckless of his own safety standing between the dead and the living standing before that rolling tidal wave of your wrath coming down upon your rebellious people and Lord we rejoice to see the power of that incense the power of that little altar that Aaron carried with him in his censer and to see that that fire made atonement for the sins of this people and that the Lord Jesus Christ also makes atonement for our sins when he also stood on the cross of Christ between the dead and the living and so today he still stands between the dead and the living and today he still stands and cries out look unto me all ye ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else he still rides upon the heavens to our help O who is a God like unto thee O Lord who is a God like the God of Jeshurun. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with thoughts of worship and praise for your great salvation that you've worked out on our behalf this evening. May we taste and see that you are good. May we carry the power of this glorious mediator with us into the coming week. And as we continue down this path of life, as our catechism is leading us, Lord, I pray that we might evermore come to see the beauty and the glory of this mediator. Lord, will you bless us then this evening? Will you give us rest this night? and Prepare us for the work of the coming day, the coming week. And I pray, O God, that we would go about our work with joy and with gladness and that we would do it as unto you and not as unto men. And we pray, O God, that we might do it from the power of this cross and this mediator. And all these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.